Good afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the Inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tevenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today, we continue to celebrate winners of the most recent Spokane Arts Grants, as Chris Massini talks with Charity Doyle and Sam Song of Northwest Winterfest. We'll also welcome Sound Space host Zan Exigian with excerpts from her interview with U.S. Poet Laureate and musician Joy Harjo. In a Northwest Arts Review first, we'll talk with a comedian appearing in Spokane this weekend, Aries Spears. Our music is courtesy of Whitworth University senior Micah Turpin. This is Northwest Arts Review. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm Chris Massini. My guests today are Charity Doyle and Sam Song, representatives of Northwest Winterfest, which has received a Spokane Arts Grant Award for its 2021 event. This year's festival will take place in Mirabu Meadows Park in Spokane Valley and will feature more than 30 cultural groups who will present their geography, history, holiday stories, and traditions using the talents, creativity, and imagination of visual and performing artists. Charity and Sam, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much, Chris. So Northwest Winterfest is a relatively new event in the region. Can you tell us um, how to get started and, and what's the idea behind it? It all started from uh, the Washington State Land Chinese Lantern Festival in 2015. Um, that inspired us to host some authentic uh, Asian-style arts and cultures here uh, in Spokane. I want to thank my business partner, Charity, for pushing me along the way because it was uh, a huge endeavor to do this. And uh, we want to build a festival that is local because that festival was a traveling exhibition. It's not local. We want to make this happen by local people and stay here locally to serve their inland northwest region, eventually the whole northwest. Yeah, so tell us about the the previous years and the highlights of Northwest Winterfest so far. So in 2018, the event was sponsored by Spokane Public Library and River Park Square. So during that year, we had uh, 12 cultural organizations who participated by decorating a cultural-themed Christmas tree. And then at the Spokane Public Library, we held a, um, just allowed the different cultural groups to showcase their New Year traditions. So mm. that was really fun. And then for 2019, the event was sponsored by Northtown Mall and also the Spokane Public Library. And we had a six-week-long celebration wherein every Saturday we would highlight the traditions, uh, holiday traditions of three to four different local cultural organizations. And so for 2020, we were um, picked up by City of Spokane Valley because they wanted to celebrate the culture 
cultural diversity that's available in the region and also to honor the artists, both visually and performing artists. And so here we are today. Obviously, we're hoping for an in-person event. Uh, we don't know for sure what restrictions on gatherings. I'm sure you're trying to be flexible, but hopefully it'll be all in-person, a real event. So what types of exhibits or performances can folks expect this year? The reason we call that Northwest Winter Festival because there isn't a whole lot of things to do in the winter in Spokane, and we all know <laughs> we have a long winter. Yeah. So we want to brighten up the winter by hosting a festival, a unique festival that uh, people can come out of their house and just come to this winter wonderland to enjoy the lights, displays, food, beverage, and performances. We do have a future vision to bring the uh, authentic European-style Christmas market to Spokane. Um, The anchor displays will be the huge Christmas tree, the dragon, the Santas, and the reindeers, all those beautiful things incorporated by uh, cultures from Asia and from all over the world because just last year uh, we had 17 uh, Christmas trees hand-painted by regional talented uh, talented artists, wow. including our own <laughs> very own charity. <laughs> so we know that we have the talents to make this event truly unique to the way that not only this is a Chinese lantern form, but we want the artist to be part of this, designing the future displays. Uh, so people come to Mirabel Meadows Park, they're going to be wowed by the huge entrance, which is 25 feet high and 52 feet wide. Wow. It's going to, like, they're going to wonder, even if they don't know what it is, they're going to be wondering, what the heck is going inside? We need to go <laughs> inside. And then, you know, we have the uh, two giant dragons and they're all together about 120 feet long and then we have a community arch it's about 130 feet of course you gotta have santa you gotta have the christmas tree and we bring some pandas dress up in christmas uh, attire just all of this together is unity is beautiful is uh it's lies is arts culture and all kinds of things together to celebrate a holiday season yeah which we de- which we deserve to be happy Yeah, especially after the year we've had. I'm talking with Charity Doyle and Sam Song from Northwest Winterfest, which is an event taking place this holiday season and has received a grant from Spokane Arts. So um, Northwest Winterfest sounds like a real community event. So what other organizations are helping you in partnership to put this on? Uh, There are just so many of them we want to thank. Of course, without the city of Spokane Valley, this idea would not have a place to <laughs> to happen. <laughs> and Avista has been always uh, the biggest uh, supporter of uh, our vision and last year and this year. And then Spokane uh, Tribes, and they, they have been a huge support. And there's one organization we really want to, it's very special, it's Accurate Insurance. Mm. They were one of the very first supporters on board to to support our vision, so thank them a lot for this. And the Spoken Arts, I just want to uh, take this opportunity to, to thank Melissa, Shelley, and all her colleagues, uh, how much they have been a huge help to uh, this vision. Because without them, without their help, uh, we would not have that many talented artists to be mm-hmm. all together with the challenges from pandemic to hand paint, uh, 
paint those beautiful trees. Many of them have spent over a week or two to just paint one beautiful eight and a half feet Christmas tree. They are absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So Spokane Arts and Melissa Shelley, thank you so much. And they will be our uh, long-term partner in charity. And I also wanted to acknowledge the 30-plus cultural organizations mm. that have embraced this event. And so it's, a, it's, it's not just Sam and I, but this would not have been possible without the support from the local cultural organizations who have been amazing in, in providing us content with um, visually and also with the performances and even using other forms of art such as storytelling and poetry and culinary arts and Hmm. just sharing all those beautiful, wonderful holiday traditions with the community. I've been talking with Charity Doyle and Sam Song from Northwest Winterfest. They're recipient of the latest round of Spokane Arts Grant Awards to support this year's event, which will take place this holiday season, November 11th through January 2nd, in Spokane Valley's Mirabu Meadows Park. You can find out more information about Northwest Winterfest at northwestwinterfest.com. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Micah Turpin is a senior at Whitworth University, soon to graduate with a degree in piano pedagogy and music composition. He visited our KPBX studio this week for conversation and to play selections from his graduate recital program. Here's just a bit of that session, the slow movement of a Sebastian Bach toccata.
You can hear the entire Piano Bench program with guest Micah Turpin as a From the Studio podcast at SpokanePublicRadio.org. Also, Micah's piece for orchestra, Journey With Me, is featured on the Whitworth Symphony Concerto Concert, viewable May 8th online at whitworth.edu. A previous piano bench guest, Elizabeth Hamilton, plays in that program as well. I'm Jim Tevenin, and this is Northwest Arts Review. To call New York-based Aries Spears a comedian is to do him scant justice. Incisive comic, yes, but as well actor, writer, and impressionist extraordinaire. Aries is in Spokane this weekend for shows at the Spokane Comedy Club. I had the opportunity to talk briefly with him. Here is our conversation. What do you find funny? What to you is funny? <laughs> um, I, I can appreciate all different kinds of comedy. Um, you know, my favorite type of comedy is the kind of comedy that gets delivered by guys like Dave Chappelle and the late, great Patrice O'Neill. I like edge. I like wit. Really smart comedy, but also really edgy comedy. Comedy that provokes and makes people think and slightly feel uncomfortable. But then I can also appreciate Seinfeld. So, you know, I feel like to be the best at what you do, you have to really be a student of the game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And that means being able to kind of embrace everybody, all styles of comedy. Because, you know, even if it's not necessarily your cup of tea, you could learn something. You have to uh, perform in front of all kinds of audiences, I'm sure. Is there a sense of uh, when you stand up to do a set, what do you learn from them as you begin? Or how do you learn? Because I'm sure that there are various ways you could take your your act. I mean, honestly, you learn who's smart and who's not. Uh, there are some audiences, depending on where you're at in the country, that are really savvy and smart and... Uh, doing a show is not like pulling teeth. And there are other times when you perform in front of an audience that's just dumb. You've been dealing with uh, socially distanced audiences, I'm sure. And what kind of a difference does that make to you as a performer? You know, you like it when the club is packed because it just feels more intimate. At the end of the day, as long as the energy is good, I mean, for ego reasons, you want a packed house. But even if the house isn't necessarily packed, I mean, there have been times when I've performed and, you know, you can count all the people on one hand. Mm. But as long as the energy is good, it feels like a party. Mm -hmm. Sure. You are known as, and I've seen some of uh, the the impressions that you do, you are an incredible mimic. When did you first discover that this was something you were really good at? Uh, As a a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, I... uh, I kind of grew up as a latchkey kid, so a lot of times my mother was busy working two jobs. Uh, my sister and I would spend a lot of time in front of the TV. Um, and plus, growing up in the 80s, my guy was Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. on SNL. And I used to love watching him do James Brown and Mr. T and all the characters that he would do. So it was just something that came to me kind of early. Mm-hmm. Of all the people who you have done impressions of, can you name one or two, for example, that uh, you think you just really nailed, that you're really happy with, that you could pass yourself off as that person, maybe even? Uh, Paul Mooney is one. She 
Shaq is another. I couldn't pass myself off as James Gandolfini for obvious reasons, but him as Tony Soprano is another. Mm-hmm. You started in the, the comedy business really early. You did your first uh, stand-up work when you were, like, 14? Yes. Okay. Now, how did that come to be? Well, you know, my mother was, uh, was and still is into the entertainment industry. She's a jazz and blues singer, mm-hmm. so uh, she's kind of the one that helped nurture and pushed me in that direction. And, you know, just started taking me to clubs and stuff in Jersey, and in New York at 14, 15 years old. What has it been like for you during the pandemic? What adjustments have you had to make, or have you discovered things during this period when stuff was so different from usual? Other than the obvious social distancing and maybe people wearing masks, to me, not much has changed. I mean, I'm still the comic who I am. I mean, the pandemic has affected comedy less than political correctness and cancel culture has mm-hmm. been more of an issue in the uh, pandemic. Are there things that uh, you find that audiences react to differently these days? I mean, you talk about the whole cancel culture thing and such. Are there places that it's uh, more or less comfortable for you to go in this climate? Well, I mean, you know, people that know who you are and that know your work, they know what to expect. So, no, as far as that's concerned, mm-hmm. but anybody that comes to see my show that's not familiar with me, because of the climate of cancer culture and political correctness, for the first 10 to 15 minutes, uh, people that aren't familiar with me find me rather abrasive, you know, um, and hard to take, but uh, not to be vain or anything like that. But I think I'm good enough to where, even if I'm hard for you to swallow in the first 15 minutes, by the time the show is over, those people are usually converted into fans. Mm-hmm. Because I think deep down inside, uh, people want to want to be themselves and people want to hear the truth. But you know, we all live behind this fear of being politically incorrect. That you know, it's almost like no one knows how to act when they hear it. But once they hear it long enough, and if it is good and if it is truthful, people people relax because that's what they that's what their instinct is anyway. Mm-hmm. They want to relax. Aries Spears, again, your shows are going to be at the Spokane Comedy Club this weekend, beginning on Thursday with a seven o'clock show. So, Aries, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy day to be with us. Oh, thank you for your time. For more on Aries Spears' appearance. Check SpokaneComedyClub.com. Joy Harjo is a truly remarkable and highly accomplished artist, author, playwright, musician, and member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. Joy is currently serving her second term as the first Native American Poet Laureate of the United States. She was a guest last Sunday on Zan Exigian's Sound Space program, heard at nine Sunday evenings here on KPBX. Their conversation ranged widely, beginning with Ms. Harjo's chosen instrument, the saxophone. Joy, thank you so much for being with us. Well, I'm glad to be here and to be here in your area. I know through the years, I'm, I know a lot of people from that Spokane area. I have 
a fun, kind of crazy first question to ask you, Joy. What made you choose sax? Yeah, it doesn't make sense, yeah. does it? When you're, <laughs> yeah, when you know, it's great when I'm recording because I can accompany myself on saxophone with my voice and so on. But it's not the best instrument to choose to accompany myself with. Right. But I love the sound, the sound, the sax voice, which to me is like a human voice. And mm. I didn't start playing sax till I was almost forty, and I learned essentially learned to play sax. I was fooling around with it for about a year before we recorded a letter from the end of the 20th century with Poetic Justice. And Mm -hmm. so on that album, I always say I learned to play sax on that album. Yeah, I just love, I've always loved the sound of a saxophone. How did you get your sax, Joy, like your first in your hands? Like where where did that come from? I remember in uh, junior high, I went to band. Mm. I was on clarinet, and the teacher said, we need someone to play saxophone, alto sax. I raised my hand. He said, girls can't play saxophone. (gasps) So I walked away from music. I also had a run-in with my stepfather who forbid me to sing around the same time. So I just walked away from music for years. And it wasn't until very late 80s, I was at a friend's house. Somebody had left a... a saxophone there and I had played clarinet a couple of years and I got a uh, got some reeds and I had a friend lay out the G blues scale and so then I went and bought probably the loudest tenor sax I could <laughs> find which is a uh, an old king super Ooh. that thing was brassy oh my gosh so I started on that and then I got a soprano and then I would perform with Poetic Justice. I have three saxes, which became too unwieldy, and I settled on the middle sax. But I also now I play, I have alto, and then I play uh, soprano. Two of the tunes are, have soprano sax on them. So Wow, what a great story. I'm so glad I asked. What advice do you have for Native communities today, like right now, especially our youth? You're, you're serving your third term as U.S. Poet Laureate. I would love to hear from you what you're thinking uh, about our youth right now, and also just especially for the Native communities right now. What would you like them to know? I think it's really important. I mean, we all, whatever generation we are, we all go through that. We've all come up through that period that they're going through now. We have a lot to offer. <laughs> the other mm-hmm. generations have a lot to offer. They're bringing in something. It's for, important for the younger generation to remember that they're bringing something very important in that we need. And they need to take care of themselves and to take care of their gifts. Everybody I don't care who you are. Everybody brought something in to share that is to be developed and taken care of. It's important not to to compare yourself to someone else. And it's important to, you know, to be brave, to stand strong and 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 then try for some balance. Sometimes people get too caught up in the Internet and the earphones on. Mm. But it's important to get out there and be in the world Mm. and to engage in the world, you know, with each other. I know I'm talking uh, during a pandemic. Right. And uh <laughs> and sometimes the engagement right now has to be virtual. So I'm not encouraging kids to go out and and break curfew and, right. and endanger themselves or their families, <laughs> but it's important <laughs> to engage with community. Mm-hmm. And and to get to know people and themselves that way. But 
I think the best advice given to me years ago, and at that time I thought, eh, hmm. of course, be yourself. Aren't we all being ourselves? But mm-hmm. no, we often aren't, especially coming up younger. We let we can have a tendency to let others define us or um, try to uh, twist and turn ourselves to be what someone else wants to be or what another culture wants us to be. Mm-hmm. And we have to stand, know what our values are. It's important that we each know what our values are and, and walk the path respectfully. Your signature project as Poet Laureate, your interactive mapping of the U.S. by way navigated by uh, Native nations, poets and the poetry, it, it's an incredible project. And I was able to go through it online. I thought it was beautiful. It's like this interactive website page that just naturally moves throughout our world and it exposes you to poets and writers that we may not have ever heard of before. And when you talk about the gifts that we have to bring and the things that we have to share with others and that everyone has that capacity, if you're not given the opportunity or you're thought of as invisible or just not even existing, it becomes a greater struggle. But this addresses that. And you have a companion anthology to this project. It's called Living Nations, Living Words, an anthology of First Peoples Poetry. Joy, what what was that experience like putting that project together? And it may still be a work in progress. Is the interactive map still... Are you going to add to that, you think, or...? No, we just had a meet. It's, the project is ongoing, but in different forms. Mm-hmm. The map is done, and we we just found out today that that is pretty much done. Okay. But the books, it's we're working on teacher a teacher's toolkit that could be used. It could be used in English classes. It could be used in um, social studies classes, yeah. even geography. You know, for that matter, mm-hmm. and how how someone approaches geography and looks at geography. Mm-hmm. And then we're also looking at uh, setting up a series of events with the poets in their communities. So we've been meeting on that. So the work continues and it's a very, it was very important and it is very important that the community at large know that we are here. We have mm-hmm. active poets and speakers and culture that is, you know, we're, we're living people's if there's any goal to achieve, it's to put this all on the map, right? Like, so to speak. What do you hope to achieve with this, Joy? Like, ultimately, what is the ultimate goal of this in your own heart? I think it goes back to when I started writing poetry. I was an mm-hmm. art student at the University of New Mexico and very active in Native rights movements with the Kiva Club there. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking, you know, looking at how Native peoples were treated, especially in border towns, and, and how we weren't visible, you know, in the culture except as, you know, in cowboys and Indians or mascots. And I thought, you know, if I do anything else with my work, I want people to know that we're human beings. You can find Joy Harjo's various projects as Poet Laureate at the Library of Congress website, loc.gov. Joy's new album, 
I Pray for My Enemies, is out on Sonata Records and is available from Apple Music and Amazon, among other sources. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenin. Help today came from Chris Massini and Zan Exigian. Thanks as well to Charity Doyle, Sam Song, Joy Harjo, Aries Spears, and Micah Turpin. We go out with the sound of Joy Harjo's I Pray for My Enemies album. Please join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.